All right, I'm recording, guys. Welcome, everybody. Training Make Podcast, episode 3.141592. Does anyone know any how, how much that's, further that's into pi. pi? Yeah, but how, how many numbers do you know? That's probably it. Were you one of those guys, Chad? No. No? 3.141592, yeah. That's the episode today. And we now have a, uh, I think we have 22 uh, active listeners. 22 or 23. I don't know. It's definitely up there. We, we keep losing them because they keep passing away. <laughs> We're joined with uh, Chad Wesley Smith, leader, Gentlemen. leader of the pack. Finally, we get you on here, man. This is, by the way, the, the most electric podcast uh, that the strength world has ever known. Well then, I, I was on the the weightlifting house podcast the the other week. Yeah, oh, Seb nice. doesn't know what he's talking about. The, the uh, and I think that they said I was the most famous. They thought I was the most famous person that had ever been on there. But I felt feel like they might say that to everyone. Hmm. I don't. Uh, I don't know if that's if that is that a compliment or is that a, a yeah big, is that, like a, a self-deprecating? Is that indicative <laughs> about where their says, podcast but... is? Like, <laughs> hard to say. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'll tell you this: it's not that our podcast is better than the Weightlifting House podcast. It's just that it's more entertaining in every single way, and that we're way cooler than Seb is. So, Seb Seb was on here though. I know. I was just. I'm. I'm kidding you. We I went slumming. Say. We went slumming once. <laughs> we had to. T- we went. We handed him a, a spot on the show. Uh, today we have a sponsor. Our first sponsor, and it's Juggernaut Training Systems. To surprise you all, if you use code Training Make, you get ten percent off. Chad, ten percent off of off of anything and everything, including this badass tank top. Right here. So this tank top is, is the second second time it has been released. It's called the Slater Tank, an homage to AC Slater of Saved by the Bell, a.k.a. Mario Lopez, ageless wonder. Um, if people want another great podcast to listen to in that vein, I started listening to one called Zack to the Future, in which Mark Paul Gosseler and uh, the guy who writes Zach Morris's trash for Funny or Die uh recap and review Saved by the Bell episodes. It's rather excellent. Oh wow. And Dashel Driscoll is the the guy who writes the Funny or Die stuff, who now got a job as a writer on a new TV show that Mark Paul Gosler is acting on. <laughs> Very interesting. So, that's I mean, pretty cool. Maybe, I guess that's like the the highest level it would it would be like, you know, if if Juggernaut started hiring the people who run weightlifting meme accounts where it's like, you know, <laughs> I love this meme account so much. You can You're going to do all the marketing for us. <laughs> yeah. So this, so this tank top we released it in like 20, 2015. There's some excellent pictures of Marissa and I on a, like a Vespa scooter, uh, recreating a picture of Zach and Kelly. And I love those tank tops so much, but when I released it the first time, it just kept taking longer and longer to get it out. So they didn't come out until like the end of September mm. and most other places in the country, not Southern California were getting cold and they're like, well, I don't want fucking tank tops. So I just had so many of these tank tops left over. So Paul, who I know Max, Max knows, mm. Paul must have, I, I think seven is a, is a fair <laughs> number of them because at any time oh. if he's at home, he's probably wearing, a different color of a Slater tank. Uh, you know, having so too many, too many of one shirt that has the same branding or image from the Juggernaut, <laughs> the Juggernaut Enterprise would be pretty ridiculous. Yes, an opinion. iconic Ada move. <laughs> it's just repping Juggernaut twenty four seven. Well, and Nike Max- Monarchs. God damn it, Max! If we get you a Nike sponsorship. Number one selling, you, it's the number one selling shoe Nike makes, the Monarch. Is it really? Yeah, it is. Air Force Ones are. No, possibly. Nah, <laughs> I, so, yeah, Nike, you just made yeah. that up. I, I just remember hearing the Air Force Ones thing on uh, 
like a sneakerhead documentary thing and they're talking about how much Jordans make and then they're like but this one Air Force Ones with zero marketing budget is the biggest seller oh shit Damn. I heard there's this meme it's like uh, if you wear black Air Force Ones you're a psychopath it's like mm. the craziest dudes wear black Air Force Ones do like a- do they still do Nike ID? Is that a thing? And if so, do they do Nike ID Air Monarchs? Where we could get... Ooh. Ooh, hold on. The Monarchs on the website? I'm checking this right now. Okay, they do. Okay. I would purchase Wait, them through the website. Max, would you be offended if we if I got a pair of Monarchs and wore them to a meet? Would you, you know, be like you you you'd be like, what do you make it what do you think this is, Zach? A game? No, look. They're, Look, they're the monarchs, all black monarchs. Oh yeah, my yeah. They make God. the black ones, the red and the red and black, and then the white ones. The monarchs started as a, 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 it's like heroin. It started as a joke initially. Like, you know, you're like, oh, okay, I'll wear these monarchs to this meet. JP was supposed to wear them too, but he didn't. Couldn't handle it. And then once I slipped my foot into the cloudy wonderfulness that is the air monarch, I couldn't take them off. What's the heaviest you've ever squatted in an Air Monarch? Oh. Uh, I think I did 250. 250 in the Monarchs. 250? But I mean, that, ba- doesn't mean, that doesn't mean anything. Dave Ricks has done, what, 335 probably in Monarchs. In Monarchs? Oh, f- yeah. damn. The official shoe. I wonder what, like, what are some of the best athletic feats ever to have occurred in an Air Monarch? Like the p- person who like, has had like, the, the most electric dunk you know, best like <laughs> kickflip in the Air Monarch. I mean, I'd imagine that there's a couple, you know, a couple dads who have stretched uh, like a double into a triple in a rec league <laughs> softball game. So hold on. I want to see if I can. Really hustled for one there, champ. Yeah, we're going to go. I'm going to go share screen here <laughs> so the people on the YouTube channel can see. Can see. Speaking of Dave Ricks, does do you know if there's going to be uh, uh, yeah, any more powerlifting meets ever happening in person? <laughs> because is, I have a. You know what? What we just found out was that. Uh, oh my God! Yeah, these thought, are a thing of goddamn beauty, Max. Yeah, those was, are wonderful. It was supposed to be that <laughs> IPF Worlds this year was in Belarus, and it got delayed. And not canceled, even though Belarus was like denying the existence of coronavirus. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's it. pretty. That's hilarious, actually. That but, like every country had pulled out besides Belarus and Russia, and and so we're like, okay, whatever. We don't want to go to Belarus anyways. And next year, 2021, Worlds was supposed to be in South Africa. So we're like, great, you know, go to Worlds. I'm gonna go on a little safari trip down in Tanzania, South Africa. And then it just gets announced the other day that now 2021 worlds are in Belarus. Oh, there shit, is, really? Yeah, there's like a huge, huge political uprising, protesting going on in Belarus right now because the person there who has been president for, I think, 26 years uh, was like shutting off the internet around the election and, and all this, you know, voter fraud type of right right you're just a conspiracy theorist man he's running things the right way in that country was that was that uh there was something like that too like you maybe it was ukraine where uh some woman ran against the her husband was running against the president you know current president and then then he you know was put in jail for being a political prisoner or whatever we got Um, stickers now yeah oh nice yeah i'm gonna what's what's the so is it just a president or prime minister? President? Well, so then, so then she ran, but then, you know, obviously lost as a you know, landslide and then she had to leave, but that's a good place to have a way to meet or power to meet. Definitely. A good place. Uh, I mean, the last time we were there, someone got murdered. So mm. wait, a, a lifter no. got murdered. No, uh, like nephew of one of the U S masters lifters. So we, Marissa and I get there land at like midnight and then, uh, by the time we get to the hotel, maybe, you know, get through customs and everything like two, two thirty in the morning. And this, the like IPF bus is dropping everyone off at the hotels. And you're seeing these places that it just says like casino in neon lights 
like not a name of it just says casino and i remember as we're we're driving we're riding in this bus and i looked at this place and i was like it's like the only thing that happens in there are yeah murders and prostitution like that's the outside of the building was screaming that to me fast forward a couple of days and a one of the american masters lifters like her nephew was in the military and he you know, was stationed in Europe. So he came to, came to watch her compete. He goes to one of these casinos, dens, dens of iniquity. And uh, there's a dispute about, uh, I didn't, I won this and you guys didn't pay it to me. And they're like, Oh, we'll come into this office and we'll pay it to you. And then they threw him out the window. Mm-hmm. So like a 10 story. Well, window. He, and then the, he the fell out the said window. That it was a su- yeah, yeah. That it was a accident or a suicide. He had a heart attack and it launched him out the window. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he had a, it was a Russian suicide. He shot himself in the back of the head twice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, um, I don't know. I, I think it's nice to just talk about random stories. Uh, we could have a dry discussion on training, but actually now that we have kind of a, a special guest on the show, our leader, our fearless leader of juggernaut, I want to talk about um, who, because I already know this answer, but our listeners, all 22 of them, don't. Who is your uh, greatest influence as a coach, Chad, and uh, and why? Uh, so my the the guy who's the most influential for me was a gentleman, Max's former roommate. In fact, uh, a gentleman by the name of James Smith. Uh, you could read his works at his website, uh, Global Athlete Concepts. He's got a bunch of great books like um, Applied Sprint Training, a high-low se- high low manual for sequencing of training. Uh, it's not, not big on the, on the elegant titles uh, or the light, the light reads, but uh, phenomenally you know, well-educated coach. You know, when, when, when people ask, oh, what books should you read? Everyone's, oh, so you got to read super training. You got to read science and mm. practice of strength training. And it's like, everyone says that, but no one has, has actually read those. And if they did, they didn't understand them because they're not written in English nor Russian. They're written in, in some sort of, you know, strength and conditioning coach robot language. And James has read them and under, and understands them. And, and once I saw him, you know, start to put into practice these ideas, uh, like actually writing programs, I was like, oh, this makes it so intuitive and makes so much sense. Uh, so I, I had the good fortune to employ James for a year, uh, about mid 2011 to through late 2012. And I do remember during that time him telling me about uh, and this was really before I had any involvement in the weightlifting community. And, uh, you know, he was telling me about this past roommate of his who would squat to maximum every day. And I was like, oh, that sounds like a terrible plan. <laughs> but uh, that was Max. Yeah. Is, this what, is this what we're looking at here? Global sport concepts? Yeah. Yeah, that's his. It's dense. It's going to be dense, James. Very. There he is. He looks like he. I think he took that picture to look like he's like a, a Rasputin type character. James is super smart. I mean, James is like ridiculously smart. He was when I first met him and I was living with him. He was kind of just starting to. I think he had just written the high low manual at the time, but uh, you know, it was a. He was doing and talking about stuff in ways that were much different than what was kind of the current climate. Then that was all like West side stuff was, was huge back then. And, you know, it was like everybody doing that. Yeah. My uh, my first interaction or yeah, I guess my first interaction with James before we met in person was uh, through Bob Islandfeld, the the angry uh, coach. Yeah. And Bob and I had, become friends and Bob and James were friends and Bob was this, this extremely gruff, you know, Long Island, like an NYPD officer. Like he is the type of guy who would go by the moniker, the angry coach. And, uh, he, he 
calls me and he's like, he's like, oh yeah, you know, I was talking to James Smith on the phone and uh, he said, you train like a fucking idiot. <laughs> and this is when I was like, you know, balls deep into, into West side stuff. Uh, so probably my last year throwing, throwing the shot put. And I don't know that James actually said it that way, or if that was just Bob's interpretation of it, uh, because James could have said something like, you know, how I was suboptimally preparing my organism for to express <laughs> my like yeah. so I love when this, like the Soviets call it the organism. Yeah. Yeah. In, the, in those books. Because I was constrained by the, you know, the American industrial complexes <laughs> use of 45 pound increments. Oh my God. But possibly, yeah, so, possibly the greatest guest ever on the Mark Bell podcast. <laughs> Talk about so. being mismatched with your audience. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so, so my first reaction was like, Oh, who the fuck is this nerd? You know, trying to tell me how to train, but eventually we got, we got on a call together and, and he sort of painted the, the argument in such a way that I had no choice, but to agree that my general abilities in the squat and squat and bench and vertical jump and everything were far outpacing my uh my sport results um so yeah then he kind of elucidated me to ideas about bonder chuck and special strength and and exercise classification and everything uh so yeah for kind of a, a bit of a rocky first introduction uh he's he was certainly who i've learned the most from you were you were basically indoctrinated into West Side at that point, right? Or you were about to be fully invested, and then someone came in, James, via someone else. What was his name? Bob Islandfelt. Yeah, Bob basically was like, "You're training like an idiot. Fix your shit." And then, where did it go from there? Like, um, how how did you develop? Because I, I don't know. I don't like calling it a method. Maybe you don't, but like the, I guess in other words, the juggernaut method, what would it, what would be, what was the point of that? What separated that from prior methods? Uh, like what exactly was that? Yeah. So, you know, there's the book, the juggernaut method, which I'm a bit regretful of titling it that now because it's just a program. Right. And what, we do now in, in terms of how to apply scientific principles of strength training across all goals and sports and everything that is, it would be much more appropriate to call the juggernaut method. Um, so, so. Oh yeah, yeah. You can also get those things with training make anyone who's listening, right? <laughs> you can. Uh, yeah. All the Just books. Plug in it. Yeah. Books, cool. coaching apparel. And uh, so I guess to go a step further back, I had been writing, I started writing my own program as soon as I started lifting. I was 14 years old, freshman in high school, scouring the internet uh, for information. You know, this, uh, the Queensland Weightlifting Federation yeah. website. I remember doing, you know, kind of, I would take like all the squatting and, and pulling and, and cleans off of there, do that, combine it with criticalbench.com. No. For all all the benchy and upper body stuff. And then with a sprinkling of jump soles workout, <laughs> like a four hour a day, you know, mayhem Good from Lord. 14, you know, from 14 to 17. It turned out pretty well for me. If I tried to do it for one, <laughs> for one day now, if I even looked at that program, I'd probably injure <laughs> myself. <die. laughs> uh, so yeah, I'd, I'd been writing my own program, trying to learn as much as I could, always talking to coaches, particularly in the track and field world. And then as I got into college uh, in 2004 and into 2005, that's when I started reading a lot more uh, elite FTS stuff. And I began when I was home, my, my first summer from college, I started, I ran the like summer conditioning program for the high school that I, I went to and I later coached football at, but I, so I started coaching uh, through the summer program there, you know, like a six, six week kind of camp deal. And there was an article called max effort training for the front seven by Joe Ken. That was mm -hmm. very influential on me there. So 
I started to understand from that, you know, okay, this, this was the Russian conjugate sequencing system uh, was I think the phrase being used for it there. And I was getting really into that and, and then reading all the articles on, on Westside website and all of this done without the context of multiply powerlifting. Yeah. There, there was times where it referenced a squat suit or super suit, but I didn't understand what that was. I thought a bench shirt was just like, Oh yeah, you wear a football uniform to play football, so you wear a bench shirt to to bench. I just thought it was like a uniform, not a not a assistive device. But but anyways, I would see this. Oh, this guy squat 1100. And, you know that kind of made sense to me that someone could squat 1100. I was squatting you know low 600s when I was 18, 19 years old. So figured, yeah, why not? I'll probably do like 850 by the end of college and then, you know, on the way to a thousand. But, uh, so I, I was getting really into, really into that stuff and, and used it very successfully for my own track career. You know, as I go back and, and if I could go back and make changes, it isn't what I would do, but it has more application really to, sport performance stuff than it does to powerlifting in, in my opinion, which is sort of ironic, I guess. But uh, as I, I became very strong, very powerful using that. And then when I, when I stopped throwing, uh, you know, that, that first conversation with James was, was a piece of it. And then when I started uh, powerlifting, I'd only been doing box squats previous to that while I was throwing, but I was like, you know, I, it's not a box squat in the meat, so I better see what, what this is like. And I was so much worse. You know, I was probably, I'd, I'd box squat like 725. And then I remember, I think I, the first day regular back squatting was like 550 for three. Granted, four years prior, I'd squatted 625, I think, or- Free squat without a box. Correct. Yeah. And so, yeah. It was probably a little bit high, like you know, a lot of throwers would squat high and stuff, but it was reasonable. Right. So th that was the first kind of moment of like, oh, you know, this uh, this doesn't seem, this doesn't seem quite right. Right. <laughs> and uh, as as I began to, you know, it feels so long ago now. It's ten uh, ten years ago, but uh, as I began to learn more about training, talk more with people like James, I, I started to see flaws in it and in the. And then even in the sport performance side of things, the, the big piece that James helped me understand was like the weight room for the athlete is all general. So if we have only, you know, a finite amount of work that they can do, which is the Charlie Francis cup analogy that every stressor you impose fills that cup up to a varying degree. Uh, why would I want to fill it up so much with a high intensity you know, highly stressful general activity like max effort squatting or max effort yeah. deadlifting when I need more space in the cup to fill up with high intensity specific, you know, special developmental exercises like for throwing, like throwing, you know, throwing. Yeah. Yeah. Just going out into your, to your place yeah. of practice and practicing. Yeah. So, so that was sort of the, the big moments you know, the, the, the transition for me that now the, the moment that could have been life-changing for, for me, for both of you, for everyone who's ever listened to <laughs> the juggernaut or benefited from some of our, from some of our content. Uh, I was sponsored by elite FTS, uh, while I, I was throwing the shot put still, uh, in my, I just only threw for one year as a post-collegiate and that was such a big deal to me. And Max, I know can, relate to this Zach it may be a little bit before your time in this space but in you know 2005 six seven like it was the place yeah like, elite FTS yeah, was, for sure yeah. yes it was like the yeah. singular place so even my senior year of college people could you know I'm sure weightlifting D's who's probably listening it might be <laughs> it might be one of you who actually knows uh will now go back through these photos and find you could find photos of me as a senior in college at track meets with my, my Concordia university, like sweats on, but while I was warming up, I would wear like West side t-shirt over my track singlet or elite FTS shirts over it. And I remember I would, this is, you know, Facebook in 2000, 
nine, like a lifetime, many lifetimes ago, I would tag Dave Tate in those because I was like, I want to get sponsored by them when I get out. You know, so in the same way that people now just tag, you know, uh, 10 different companies. I got my my slingshot hat on and then my yeah. iron rubber yes. <laughs> sleeves and, and yes. you know, my snatch shorts and, and they just tag everyone possible. Savage. Uh, you know, I was doing that back when these influencer kids were still shitting in their huggies. Um, <laughs> but so then I, I did get sponsored by them. And, and the first time I was supposed to go out to Ohio for an event, I was like, I'm going to go to West side on Friday and then I'm gonna be at Elite Fitness on Saturday and by Sunday I will be the strongest man that has ever lived. Um, and I was so pumped up about it. I talked to Louis on, I talked to Louis on the phone. Uh, you know, talked to him about about shot put training and everything and and the trip got canceled for the Elite FTS part of the trip, which was the the reason that it was happening for me was got canceled for some reason. And so I didn't go. And then by the time I was going to go again, these things had started to click of like, yeah, maybe this isn't the best thing. And I started to understand it where I, I don't know if I would have gone on that trip. I may have been so far indoctrinated. Down. Yeah. You yeah. would have been pulled into that world so hard. Yeah. And I, I say that because I see so many people who I feel like are, are, directed by their emotions much more their feelings that you know louis is this great guy or he's done this or that for them and it clouds their their judgment of of sure extremely objective uh thing of training and how strong it makes you but uh yeah so that's that's sort of my path on that so i i definitely had a moment like that as well where i could have gone to a different gym um but their website wasn't up so there was a gym that was closer to my house. Uh, it was a CrossFit gym. I wanted to do CrossFit and I went to a different gym and it ended up the owners were like three ex football players, super chill, definitely not like in that CrossFit world. They wanted to do sports performance, but then they had a CrossFit gym as well. And um, they were, they were just, you know, I don't want to say that like, you know, cause there's shitty gym owners, no matter what, not just CrossFit gym owners, but they were not like, that at all and when we started training we got heavily into weightlifting and and like more so like we would weightlift every day and then we would kind of top like add a a wad on top of that and i don't know if that would have occurred had i gone to another gym um and and then my path would be vastly different than what it is today do you max do you have kind of a moment like that where you know, like something, something like you did go to college for two weeks. Um, like as far as going up, I mean, you know, like to, Jay- to where you are right now, like, is there, is there a, is there a defining moment that might've changed? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, there's so many, like for, for Max, like, uh, I, th- I think the, the question for you, people associate you as you know, Max Ada Bulgarian guy, because that's how you trained. And, I, and I'm yeah. sure in, until someone you know reads what you write or, or listens to your podcast, they probably think, "Oh, he's gonna have people do Bulgarian." Like, what was the moment for you that that was like, "Hey, maybe we do it a little different than that"? Oh man, um, I mean, you know, in my case, like probably bef- right before I met James was like that moment of like the way we trained was just so uh, it just got to this point of being so unproductive. And so like you're beating your head against the wall. And that's actually why I kind of reached out to James was one of my, uh, one of my friends who was a strength coach at Montana state. He was like, Hey, you know, this guy, you know, the thinker here on elite FTS, you should like reach out to this guy cause he seems really smart and, you know, maybe try something different. And so I, re- you know, I had known for a long time that training like that was not great. Um, and so, you know, it was like, I, I was looking for something, but you know, where I was, there were no options. It wasn't like, I mean, I had access to the same stuff that you did and online. You're in the forest. It, yeah. Right. Exactly. And you don't even have an ax, right? You're just like, <laughs> what the fuck's going on? Right. So, um, 
when I reached out to James and I talked to James, he had a very different perspective on things. And then going down and, and living with James was a super unique experience that I think was like the moment of realizing it wasn't, it wasn't uh, like it could be something different. But I did actually go live and train with Abhijay after that. So there was like, I don't know if you call it like a relapse, but <laughs> it wasn't so much that because it was more like, well, I got to go do this because of what it is. You know, I wanted to go and, and do it and see. And I think when you finally get that experience, you start to realize, I mean, like the, the something true in, in all of life is like when you finally meet your idols or you meet somebody that you've like held in this position of like, they've got all the answers and you realize that they just, they are not that and that those answers maybe don't even exist. Um, it's a, it's a humbling experience because you start to realize like, Oh shit, like this is not what I, you know, they, there is no secret program. There's right. no secret Bulgarian system that exists beneath, you know, the, you know, like it, it, China, Chinese lifting is probably the best example of this. The, it, right now, there are probably kids, probably people listening to this podcast that still hold this like, well, China's got a secret system. China's got something secret, yeah, huh? China's got something special that's secret that they're doing, and they have got like a better answer. It's a better technique. It's a different technique. It's being hidden. It's behind the ice wall that surrounds the flat Earth, and you know, I, it's like they they know it's there, <laughs> and they desperately want to hold on to it. But if you went there and you spent a year, you spent any time and you met these people and you were involved in it and you got all the answers, you'd be very disappointed. You would. You'd be disappointed because you realize like it is nothing, there's nothing new here that hasn't been done before that isn't, you know. And so it's like the, that experience of meeting your, your idols or meeting the people you've put on a pedestal and having it kind of like crumble and you're like, Oh shit, you know? So I try to provide that experience for every co athlete I work with. I disappoint so I, them as soon as I meet them and it's good. <laughs> yeah. I think I, 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 I do to become Tian Tao. Right. How many panda pulls? Right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's panda pulls. It's close, fast, low, that soup, you know, that crisp mountain air, you know, we don't do yeah. it. No one does it like China does. Maybe no, like look for my eyes. And then beat under bar, hands on bar. So um, I think I, I had a similar, now it's, it's different for me. I think by the time I had approached you, Max, I was much more nuanced. Like yeah. I, w I wasn't approaching niche, you saying like, nuanced. I wasn't, I wasn't uh, approaching you with Max. I got to know your secret techniques, mm -hmm. you know, um, what I, I think I approached you as someone who's experienced on the side of uh, competitive coaching. Um, that's, that was the main reason. I think that was the best reason to come, come to you instead of thinking. And then I actually remember saying like, you know, I, I would like to, I would like to be a part of like more of a system yeah. and, and what other coaches know. And I think the first thing you told me, you brought up the, the, um, the Russians and the Canadian hockey. That was like the first oh, yeah. example. You remember that? And, and basically you were, you said like, the, yeah, well, you said like, well, it's, it's what makes, if, if you are constantly influenced by those around you, you begin to lose that creativity that might give you success in the end. Um, and, and one of the things you said was like the Russians when they wanted to play hockey, um, they got destroyed by the Canadians because mm. they tried to play Canadian hockey. No, no, Chad, Chad told me the story. So oh, the, well, pass the, it on, pass it on to me yeah. then. It, it is uh, from a 30 for 30 called of miracles and men, which is about the miracle on ice from the Russian side. And, uh, you know, or Soviet union and Soviet union was so dominant in hockey during that time in the seventies, you know, almost from the, just the late 60s into the 80s. Uh, and they, prior to that, did not even play hockey. Hockey did not exist because yeah. real deep fans would know what sport they played. Some have called it the Hydrox of hockey. Others <laughs> know it as Bandy, which is uh, an equivalent sport in terms of how the IOC views uh, powerlifting. Uh, they are Bandy and powerlifting are on the same level. 
course, uh, so Band- of course Bandy's hockey, hockey-ish, but they hadn't actually played hockey. So then they start to develop this hockey system, you know, and uh, the coach who kind of took the this first group from like junior hockey all the way through to to multiple time world champions and, and Olympians and everything. Um, Vandy is not it's field hockey on ice. Interesting. Huh. So he said that he actually tried to avoid watching hockey because he didn't want to be influenced by the other teams. He said uh, the quote is something to the effect of like how would we ever be able to surpass them while we travel along the same path behind them? And uh, so the, the, he explains the, the Russian the Soviet Union system of hockey as that the five guys without the puck control what the one with the puck does while Canadian hockey, the one with the puck controls what the five without the puck do. Right. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that idea you get in like these echo chamber type of type of things. That's something that I worry about with, with us sometimes is, is, you know, if, if you only talk to the same people and it's tough, you know, people don't like to challenge what, what you're doing or, or whatever that it can get kind of stale, but yeah, I think it's so, so important for, you know, powerlifting coaches, weightlifting coaches, sport performance coaches, whatever to, definitely to branch outside of their field. Like most of my understanding of, of training comes from track and field comes from sport performance. Um, you know, it comes from weightlifting, taking those ideas and applying them to, to powerlifting, not just, you know, one powerlifting coach to another, to another, like, yeah, those little details can be important, but those are, you know, you might just be getting a different shade of the same. Yeah perspective while you get into a whole nother sport it's the if it's good the principles are gonna are gonna carry over um but can just give you such a a different understanding of it what would you say chad is an example of how your not i guess not juggernaut method but something that you've taken on like what is the biggest thing that you've taken on that was different from prior powerlifting programming techniques and what i would view as an outsider somewhat of an insider is that there's probably slightly more volume um you talk a lot about um phase potentiation and and basically really getting the most that you can out of other phases of training before you get specific things like that and i think that those are the things that i observe when i go to the gym people aren't really doing um you know the 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 a&M powerlifting team comes in and it seems as if they're doing bench or squat bench dead every day uh, to a single, you know, they're just doing what they're good at huge arches, you know, they're never really mixing in any variance. Um, Would you say that that's kind of the route that you went with maybe higher volume, more fitness? What what would be your cornerstone as to what separated you? Yeah, I I think so, something that was a big change as my powerlifting career went was was understanding the value of of vol- frequency and volume in the training, and that that the frequency part really came about after I had a couple of herniated discs and I had to come back and rehab those because when I started squatting again after that, I was squatting six times a week because it was so light, and this is combined with a consolidation of stressors idea that I learned from James that because all the load was so low, I had to get stimulus by, by frequency. So I started out squatting, back squatting 185, front squatting 135 pounds, pounds. Okay. Uh, for, five, yeah. for five sets of 10. And, uh, and what, what was your, I mean, back squat prior, so everyone knows, but prior uh, to your disc injury, didn't you nine, do a double at nine? Nine, nine oh five, yeah. Okay. Um, so I started out 185, 135 three times a week front, three times a week back. And then, you know, as I bumped those numbers up each week, once I think I, I got to maybe 275 or 315 on the back squat, um, and like, let's say 315 on the back squat and 245 on the front squat, then I went to two time a week back squatting, two time a week front squatting and kept that going until I was back at, you know, 450 back squat and three, 350 front squats and I'd, I'd front squatted 670 
uh, at that point as well. So, and then once I got down to three time a week, two time a week, back squat, one time a week, front squat, I was like, okay, like I can do this. I can actually train hard like this where before I was only squatting once a week. And for a while had taken my training split and spread it out over nine days instead of seven days uh, because the, each individual workout was so challenging that I, that I felt like I needed that space in between it, but I saw, okay, well with the changes in frequency, I can do more over the course of the same time, but a single session isn't so you know, debilitating as it was before. Plus now I get more skill practice in the, in the technique. Um, and so that I think was kind of an idea, you know, in part, of, of how I went from more sessions to less sessions over time, which is something I continued to apply after that. That was more of a sport performance idea from James with consolidation of stressors and right. the, but the need for greater frequency and that, you know, providing for more technical practice. That was more of a weightlifting idea, throwing idea, you know, no weightlifter is just going to snatch and clean once a week. Like it doesn't work. No shot putter is just going to throw once a week. It, it, their technique would at best stay the same. You know, right. it, but probably get worse. So, so th those things were, were definitely significant. The, the phasic idea is something that I, I think I just always had, I, I seem like I've always had an understanding of that. I wish I still had it. Um, but I, I used to have a, a notebook that had like all the workouts I did in high school and, I'd, you know, have them all on Excel sheets and everything and, and was like writing out, you know, entire track season of training at once, like trying to create a, a long-term plan for myself when I'm 16, 17 years old. Um, and that had, you know, more linear type of periodization to it, but at least an understanding of there's time, there's, there's a time to do more and there's a time to do less. There's a time to go lighter and there's a time to go heavier. Right. And, a lot, a lot of this, a lot of the training ideas, you know, it's, it's this pendulum that swings back and forth. And, and when it swings to West side, it swings to, you know, high, high variation. And then probably a lot of the things that, you know, Juggernaut wrote in that kind of 2012 to 2015 range where it was like, Hey, specificity, this is important. And that swung it back the other way. And, got to the, well, variation, if specificity is important, then variation is bad, but, it, but these things, are, it's not a binary, right. decision. you know, they, they're both important. One is more important than the other, but they're both important. So when it swings the other way for some people to, I have to always do singles and I need to only do the competitive exercises all the time, all year, that's not right either. And the people who can find the time for variation and variation comes through exercise selection, it comes through how you load the exercises. Um, and I think most people only think of it as, as the exercise technique. Like I do a safety squat bar is variation, but you know, I say what, if the most, spe most specific thing you can do in powerlifting is squat bench and deadlift for one rep maximum to your competition technique. Well then two reps is variation. Three reps is variation five, seven, you know, no, no one does seven. That's weird. But, uh, you know, so on and so forth, those are all variations. And then every change you make to the technique is a variation as well. And then you create, you know, variation to the overarching structure of the program through changes in, in frequency and, and, and uh, you know, weekly volumes and everything. So, so I would, so your injury really forced your hand then to that, to that high frequency, incredibly low intensity, but very high volume lifting. You're squatting six times a week, but people hear that. Oh my God, you're squatting six times a week. You must be fucking crazy. It's like, well, not if the squat is 185 pounds. Yeah. Yeah. So again, it was, so, it was five sets of 10, six, six times a week, 135 in the front squat, 185 in the back squat. But as that progressed on over, over the months of, of recovery, you know, I, started to add, this is also where I started applying more like undulation throughout the week and having bigger day, smaller day, right. medium day, which that was kind of a sport performance idea that I'd, I'd learned from, from James that you didn't, you know, uh, in terms of the high low sequencing system that you don't want every day to be identical because then kind of every day turns into a medium day, mm -hmm. uh, which you know, is an ideal. There can be a time for that, 
uh, early in, in the training where everything is a bit more flat, but as intensity goes up, you know, in one place it has to come down in, in another place. So it's, th- yeah, that, it's, the back injury ahead, turned out to be a great thing for me to, to learn about the, you know, the, the utility of, of frequency as, as something to really manipulate in the training, as well as having to learn how to, how to brace differently better where before I was more, you know, ex- squatting and extension that the combination of, of knowing like, okay, this is some of what contributed to my injury plus giving myself a ton of practice at a new technique and very mindful practice because I, even with 185, I was like, fuck, you know, I don't want my back to hurt again. So let's do it right. Um, I got, I got the technique practice and then saw, Oh, doing it more made, makes my technique better, you know, and then those, those work together very well. Max, are you going to say something? Yeah, I was going to say it's, it's interesting because when you think about it, I can't think of a single resource that where somebody has clearly defined all the parameters or all the methods by which you can manipulate the variables. And, and the reality is like, that would be akin almost to like if somebody was able to list out all of the moves that are possible in chess, right? Because after the first pawns move, there's like, you know, what, 7 billion possibilities. And then after another piece is moved, it becomes such a large number. You can't, you can't know them all. I don't know if it's that complex in, in training, but the idea that, you know, the interplay between different you know, things that we're working with different principles and how they manifest themselves in the program is really where, you know, great training programming exists. Because if you have, you know, back, you know, 15, 20 years ago, or even some people, you know, now they look for a program, which is, you know, a pre-written recipe for some kind of, you know, training for weightlifting or powerlifting. And that might work for somebody, it might not work for another person. But there's no, there may not be anything attached to it, like a methodology or how to actually, you know, how to adjust those parameters as things change for the lifter, as they get stronger, as they get worse technique or better technique. And so it's interesting that there isn't really a resource for people from a standpoint of being able to understand like, well, how, how can I adjust variation? It, it's a lot of like, you know, variation equals this equals a different exercise. So I'm doing variation because I did safety bar squats, but there's, you know, there's like you just listed, there's many different ways in which variation can actually be, you know, influenced or actually can be represented in a program. And that's true of all the principles or most of the principles where, you know, it's not always this straightforward, like this is the most ideal program. This is the best system. It's how you implement and how you organize those things. And once you get to a certain point as a coach, you've done, you've written a lot of programs, you've written a lot of things, or if you're an athlete, you know, you've, you've pushed yourself to a certain point. At some point you, you're not going to invent something that doesn't exist. Right. So you are forced into a position where you're hurt, you're injured, or you have athletes that need to improve. And so you start to play with and understand how can I learn what these principles are? How can I learn what these things are? I can manipulate and finding that you can manipulate them in certain ways, but you, you learn that interplay between them, right? Chad squatting six times a week. There's, there's a give and take there. There's right. He he's not going to squat maximum every day. Uh, so there's, you know, this adjustment of volume and intensity. So it's interesting to me that, like people are more concerned generally when you're younger, people are more concerned with like, what is the ideal program? What is the ideal recipe versus how do I, you know, how do I manipulate these things or what are the ways in which I can manipulate them? What are the levers and knobs that I can, you know, tweak to, to make a program change. If you just thought about it, like kind of like, you know, if you took a powerlifting program and you manipulated it enough and you adjusted you could start with a powerlifting program on a whiteboard and you could just change the, the ways in which the principles express themselves. And you could end up at a program that's, you know, uh, for a hundred meter guy, like it's possible. You change exercise, you change these things, but the principles are the only things you're actually influencing. And at the end you'd have something that looks completely different, but without actually just having to rewrite and be like, Oh, well this is, you know, this powerlifting program can't work for a weightlifter. 
if that makes sense then kind of ram well, there, it, but that's well that's what you know chad was saying before was that the juggernaut method right is not i mean it's just sorry there's no blanket way to say what the juggernaut method is it's just a bunch of you know it's these principles that they've listed you know that you and was it um mike dr mike and uh james hoffman right and you guys you guys listed those things later on um but uh the i don't know if you guys saw pavel satsulin on on joe rogan did you or or listen to that at all either of you is that the kettlebell dude yeah yeah from back in the day um, but he, he basically, he, he and I, I did a video of this on my YouTube and it was actually pretty eye-opening. He talked about, you know, different types of loading. Obviously, there's so many different types of loading because vari- variability exists almost infinitely. Um, but he, he said, you know, there's, there's the step loading, there's the wave loading, and then there's variable loading, which is like, you know, it's, it's almost impossible to describe what variable loading is and what people who want a set program that's going to work for them, if they take a big step back and they look at all the data points on what they're supposed to lift, they can't draw any discernible pattern from that. I think it's endemic of people to want to know exactly where they're going to go. Right. And, and the, the idea with variable loading, or at least to my understanding, it's that we cannot determine that just yet. There has to be adjustments. There has to be com- constant adjustments. And that's where you, I feel like we get into a lot of problems with, with um, athletes is that they start getting frustrated because they don't know. It's not that they don't know what you know. Um, they just don't know where they're going, if that makes any sense. It's like a, um, it's a, a conceptual struggle. Uh, but well, it's, in, I, I it's important. At, a, some, at the simple level, they want to where they want to be going is towards the athletes that they like, you know, they're the people they look up to on Instagram. So they think that doing that program. And again, I, I want to make a specific differentiation between doing a program, which is finite. It has this many sets and reps and it is fixed versus applying the principles of their programming that's that's the big difference. They, but they, we're we're saying essentially the, those principles shouldn't be shouldn't change. So that the principles from, don't change, right? Uh, so every every time Max, you know, we he's got you and Alyssa and Alex and Keisha and and Dave and all these people. You each do a program. You do your program, and how you know Vasily uh, Alexiev had all these people asking him about to do his program. And he said, you can't do my program because then it would be your program. You need to take it and make it your own. He uses the principles to create the program. This, the idea of the, the programming creates programs, but they're not all the same. The principles don't change the application of them, the magnitude of, of you know, what, what is overload, what is enough overload for Alyssa versus what is enough overload for David Garcia versus what is enough for Sakasia versus what's enough for Zach. That's, that's all changing. But when people see, they, they see, I want to be like Zach Talander for some reason. I don't know. Some idiotic uh, reason. <laughs> they, some dumb like, so reason. I don't know why you'd want to. Yeah. Go on. Yeah. So, so they're going to do the same program as, as you, but they, they don't, they shouldn't do the same program as you. They might need to do the same program as you did three years ago or five years ago, you know, that, that might be more appropriate for them. It still won't be the most appropriate thing for them because it's not the best application of individual differences to it, but the individual differences is the smallest piece at the end. But the yeah. fact that there's, you know, people out there, companies out there, gyms out there touting, you know, do sign up for this and do the exact same program that our team, that, that our lifters do do the exact same program as this 109 kilo male. Who's three times as strong as you and has been training for five <laughs> times as long because you are 60, you're a 55 kilo female who just started weightlifting. Like that's just fucking stupid. Yeah. It's disingenuous. Yeah. I, I, I hope that it's stupid, but I, in reality, I know it's probably just disingenuous. But well, it's got to be. It's selling it, but it's either it's either that you don't know that that's not right, in which case it's ignorant, which is not safe, or you do know it's right, in which case it's it's fraud. Well, there's there's the line though, right? Because at a, to a certain extent, um, 
you know, what's, what's the saying is like, uh, you give a man a fish, he eats for a day, you teach a man to fish, he eats for a, a lifetime or whatever. He'll ask you if you can, he'll ask if he can use your boat. Yeah. Well, so, so that's, yeah, well, but essentially there's a third caveat to that is like, you could teach him how to fish. It doesn't mean he's going to get up in the fucking morning and go fish. Yeah. And the, the, the problem is, is like, well, what do you do? Do you constantly fight the system and constantly be like, Hey, I can't answer any of your questions because here are the scientific principles, you know, you better know them or else, or else, you know, there has to be some line. I, I do agree with you, Chad, that it is disingenuous to say that this is the end all. This is the catch all program that's going to work for you. I think that's bullshit. Uh, but to a certain extent, something has to be done. You know, it, it, someone who's a complete beginner, they might have to learn that over time of training. And oh, for yeah. them, you know, maybe they have to do some program, you know? Yeah. Uh, but it is, I, I well, it there sucks is because that. it's called juggernaut AI. But, uh... <laughs> also juggernaut AI training, make go there uh, 10% off for juggernaut AI. If you want to do powerlifting, power building uh, and weightlifting, there's a little plug for us right there. This whole thing was secretly an infomercial for it. People just didn't realize it until right now. <laughs> right, because the program adjusts, right? The, the, it, it that's the idea. That's the idea is that it's adjusting to how you feel. But I, I've actually heard, and, and we can actually talk about this. I've heard complaints from, about the juggernaut lifting power or juggernaut powerlifting AI um, from the said, you know, SBDers that come in. And I think it's because it's so foreign. It's so jarring what you said about six times a week squatting, uh, six times a week squatting five sets of 10. What people, uh, my, one of my biggest pet peeves is someone hears this word set of 10 and they're like, Oh God, that sounds awful. It's like, who said the set of 10 have to, has to be heavy. You know, like you do a set of 10 at, at 135 pounds. Like it's, it shouldn't me giving you a rep scheme should not determine whether you like it or not, or, or how you feel it's the loading. I mean, I think that loading is a massive issue with people because it coincides with specificity. Yeah. Uh, oh, a couple, a couple things doing uh, 135 and 185 for five sets of 10, six times a week, like I was doing, that's not how you get strong at powerlifting. Uh, it, was so light for me, it was only a rehab setting. So it's like, all right, all, everything's changed with that. Also the juggernaut AI powerlifting doesn't, no one would squat six times a week in that five is the yeah, most. Yeah, I'm sorry for, I'm just using it as yeah. an example because it, it's a motif, you know? Yeah, but, so the, there's a couple a couple things that happen. The, the most, so the, the if someone wants to complain about, oh, this is too much, you know, it's, it's too much volume or that it's hypertrophy and this isn't specific, or I feel like I get weaker during hypertrophy. You know what? You might actually get weaker during hypertrophy. That's why you don't do it right before a meet. You know, that's yeah. why you, you know what the date of a meet is and, you know, pandemics aside, uh, you get ready for them and, 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 you know, do them on a schedule. You don't always have to be ready because if you're always peaked, you're really never peaked. Everything is lower. So if you can't, you know, accept the idea of delayed gratification and that, taking a month or two months or three months to build up work capacity and muscular size while it may take away some neural force production abilities and right you know the week as you transition from hypertrophy into strength your actual one rep max yeah it might be lower for a lot of people it might be higher too if they're not that particularly experienced then i don't know what to tell you you're just never going to be as good as you could have been the other part of it is people want to say, oh, it's too much It's too much volume. It's giving me all this crazy volume. So there's something in the Juggernaut AI called the readiness rating, and you tell it how you feel. And when you tell it that you feel good, it says, oh, great, you feel good. You can do hard work today. And then you tell it again, you feel good. Oh, and you you must be killing it. So we're going to keep, you know, pushing it towards the, towards, you know, faster and faster uh, increases. And if you tell it you feel good, but you don't feel good, it doesn't know that you're lying. All it knows is that you told it you feel good. So 
don't fucking cry to me when you're like, it's giving me too much volume because you fucking told it to give you that much volume. Right. I, it's kind of like when you write a program for somebody and you give them a range. Do, do you know, four to six sets here. If you feel good, do six. If you don't feel good, do four. And they send you back information or they do it and they're like, oh man, the last two sets I was fucked up. It was so fucking beat up and shitty. Oh, last two sets were bad. I missed like half the reps. Yeah. Like, and the, well, maybe you made a bad choice there. <laughs> yeah. And, and part of it is, you know, in, in the specific example of the readiness ratings, people take it as not, this is how I feel, but like, this is how much I care. And there's tons of people who do a, a great job of it. And that's why I post, you know, like, five yeah, yeah. I mean, no, your results are yeah. fucking good chat. Like there's and no doubt about that. Who, who use the readiness ratings properly as this is how I feel, not this is how much I care. I want to be good, so I must do the hardest work every day. As they get further along in their career and they're like me or, or Marissa or something, they'll develop a cynicism towards lifting in which you want the easiest workout at yeah. all times. Uh, and that's an important stage of the, of the career. <laughs> yeah, it, well, that is actually, as funny as it sounds, that is the crux of all of this, I believe, that it's it's this auto regulation and and holding yourself accountable. What was the third one, Max? We had we had three A's: auto regulation, accountability, and uh, autonomy, or something. I don't know. I think those are the same. Yeah. Um, but that that sort of being able to auto regulate yourself and hold yourself to a to a standard without expecting the world every workout is such a valuable thing that it needs to be instilled because I think people come to us, they come to professionals with the idea of, I will do anything you say, but if you don't say it, I won't do it. And that is such a problematic idea in this world. And it, it, I, it stems from a lot of different factors. I think education, and we've brought this up before countless times, Max, but like I deal with college kids and the, the college kids, they go to a classroom, at least at AM, they go to a classroom, hopefully not anymore, of 150 to 300 people. The, the professor says, here's what you have to do to get an A. The student says, fuck yeah, dude, thank you so much. I'll see you at finals. And they know exactly what they have to do. And if they're not told to do anything else, they're not going to do anything else. And they get rewarded for that. But real life is not that in any way. You know, your professional life is not going to be like that. You have to take some sort of pride in what you do. You have to make decisions. Um, and they can't be based off of, you know, this, this um, they have to be much more process oriented than, than this goal. Uh, and, and so I think, Chad, you're the, the, the AI, it has to be known that you as a user of the AI, you have to be accountable as well. You know, you can't, you, you have to have that cynicism. You have to have that understanding of future and, and what you made mistakes you've made of the past. And you have to assess that yourself. You can't have a program or a, uh, a machine, uh, an Autobot, uh, or, or even a, a coach tell you what to do at every step of the way. Yeah. The, whether it's the AI system, whether it's a uh, online coach, whether it's an in-person coach, yeah, in-person in coaching, certainly you can, the coach can see that it's going badly and tell them to stop. But something as simple as when you walk into the gym and your coach asks, hey, how are you doing today? How do you feel today? Yeah. That has to be a real question that receives a real answer for the program to work as effectively as possible. Because if it's just, oh, I'm doing good. And every day you're doing good, you know every day you're not doing good. <laughs> like it's, yeah. there's, there's something that's, that's changing, you know, whether it's positive or, or negative, you know, ups or downs, there, there are going to be changes. Like the simplest understanding of it, you know, John, John Wooden would talk about is, is players need to keep a real even keel because he said with every peak, there comes a valley and that's, that's training. That's, that's where my undulating, you know, model came from is with every peak, there comes a valley. How do you, how do you feel the day after really hard training? Bad. Yeah. So don't train really hard two days in a row. 
you know, or <laughs> I mean, I'm oversimplifying it. No, that oversimplifying it there, but that's that's the the gist of it is that some days are going to be harder than others, and if you can be, you know, more objective about about measuring what is a hard day, what's an easy day, controlling the variables that you can control, like your diet, your sleep, uh, you know, all that kind of stuff, then you're going to be able to predict better which days you're going to feel good. You can feel good on the days you're, you need to feel good, the high days, and you can, you know, feel expectedly shitty on the other days. And that's, that's all fine because that's part of the plan. I, I hate to sound like the, the Gota guys here, but that's kind of like how the universe works. You know, there's every stimulus has a reaction to it. There, there's always a payment for, for something that you have to do. Um, I don't know about the spirals and how they work spirals. into this. But, uh, but yes, I, I mean, I think as, a, as an overall lesson, people just need to grasp more of these fundamentals of training. I think we're going to wrap up there, fellas. Cool. Was a nice little discussion. Um, you can find us on goda.com. Uh, <laughs> Chad, did you listen? You listened to that little debate. Uh, I, I did not. Uh, yeah, don't, you don't have to. Don't do it. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. It's all good, man. I will never be offended for you for not listening to, uh, to this podcast. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I pretty much just listen to, you know, Zach to the future is my main, my main podcast these days. So I am Tim Dillon, man, Tim Dillon's for me. And obviously Joe Rogan. I don't know if you guys have heard Tim Dillon stuff, but he's fantastic. So the last, the last time that Tim Dillon was on Rogan, I was like, okay, this guy, he's making some, some points. The time that he was on there before that he said, he said something to the effect of like, I'm not an expert, but let me like, yeah, he's, he's, I'm not an expert, but here's this completely unsubstantiated. So uh, he's, I think is true. And you should take us back. And they're like, so you need to, well, you need, so Tim, like once you listen to him enough, you realize like he's, it's a character, a lot of it. So his sarcasm molds with who he is. So he just like, he goes off into these tangents and then Joe has to either play into the tangent or be like, oh, I don't know if that's, that's legitimate, you know? Oh, yeah. But he, he t- called him out when he, when he said, of course, I'm not an expert in this and then proceeded to proceeded give advice, to try and be an expert. Right. <laughs> that's well, that's Max pointed this out. Uh, it was like um, the person who, you know, they're like, I don't have any results as a coach. I've never actually programmed. I don't have anything that would actually prove my worth as a coach. Well, let me tell you how I would do it and why mm. it would be very good. And it's like, that's almost the internet in a nutshell. For sure. For Somebody sure. Somebody making like a video about what they would do if they were coaching someone, but hasn't actually ever coached anyone. Yes. Huh? Yeah. I'd say step one, you're going to want to have your hands on the bar. <laughs> All right, guys, that's going to do it. For episode 3.141592, go to Juggernaut Training Systems, or sorry, JTSStrength.com and uh, get anything you want, but use Training Make. And definitely get the AI and definitely buy our entire line of apparel. Uh, Spend thousands and thousands of dollars if you can. Um, Because... Yeah, or because reverse mortgages, whatever you got to do. Yeah, yeah. Sell the house. You know, get get the, give us that give us that cash. Okay, what's this all about? If you can't pay us our dues, um, that's it, yeah, guys. Um, We're gonna sign off. <laughs>